those of you that we had, well, we had a few people here last Sunday because we had a kind of a soft opening last Sunday. Um, <clears throat> but uh, most of you uh, hopefully were watching from home last Sunday. Uh, and I, 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 I spoke on Ezra chapter 3 uh, last, last Sunday. <clears throat> and I made this statement that I, I actually, when I, <clears throat> after I thought about it, uh, uh, to me, it was kind of a, an amazing thought, and that is this: for you know, I've been I've been saved for almost 40 years. The 23rd of this month, I'll be saved 40 years, and <clears throat> uh, for 40 years, basically, I have taken church for granted. Whenever I've needed to go to church, I could go to church uh, on Sundays, Wednesdays. During revivals, uh, you, you know, whenever the church was open, I could go. And it, it never dawned on me until obviously recently that I couldn't go to church. Which, again, that was, that was something was very new to my thinking. I could not worship corporately like we are this morning. I could not sing praises like we have done this morning. It's been hard to fellowship and share the goodness of God like we have been able to do this morning. And all of these things I I have just taken for granted because I could always do it whenever I wanted to. Last week, I introduced the book of Ezra and mentioned that Ezra chapter 3 never impacted me the way it has since this lockdown started. Uh, Ezra chapter 3, I've, I've read it, I don't know how many times, I've read it many times. And and it's always touched my heart, but it's never impacted me the way it has in the past several weeks and, and months. And 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 again, the 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 first little bit here is a little bit of review from last week because we're kind of continuing a thought here. But in Ezra chapter one, Cyrus the king of Persia decrees that the temple. Uh, in uh, in Jerusalem needs to be rebuilt. So he sends Ezra and a, and a bunch of other people. And then uh, later uh, in the book of Nehemiah, which comes after the book of Ezra, uh, obviously Nehemiah goes to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but he's really not there to rebuild the temple. That's That's Ezra's job. Ezra's job is to organize it and get it done. And then in, in, in Ezra chapter 2, uh, you see the people that actually relocate <coughs> from Persia to uh, Jerusalem to build, rebuild the temple. And last week we talked about this, and I wanted to talk about it again because it's important. Here, here <coughs> I have whined and complained. I'm just being honest. 
for 11 or 12 weeks that I've not been able to go to church. And they, the Jews, were 70 plus years. And to, to borrow a phrase that I learned from my mom, who is here this morning, by the way, <clears throat> you have nothing to complain about, stupid. <laughs> well, I don't know if she used the word stupid, but I added that part on. But you know what? The, the reality is, do we not complain about things we really have no business complaining about? You know, here, here we have been 11, 12 or so weeks. I don't know. You can do the math, figure it out. <clears throat> They went 70 years plus without corporate worship. In fact, we're going to look at this morning just how precious this time was to them. 70 years in a foreign land. And in chapter 3, they return and they start construction on the temple. And... Most of the people that are present in Ezra chapter 3 were not born when Israel went into exile. So many of the people, most of the people that are present at Ezra chapter 3 have never in their life had corporate worship. Think about that. They, in their entire lives. Ezra chapter 3, let's read, and th- this is what, we, what I preached on last week, but Ezra chapter 3 and verse 10 and following, it says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of As- Asaph, with sim- symbols to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course and and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. Now, let me stop here and we'll, we'll continue reading here in a moment. But I want to point out, It's been 70 years, and they're excited about the foundation of the building being built. The temple's not even done. It's just getting started. And back then, it would have taken years to accomplish this. In fact, if you continue reading through the book of Ezra and then into Nehemiah, you'll understand it was years before it was completed. And they're just excited about the fact that it's getting started. Verse 12, And many of the priests and the Levites and the chiefs of the fathers who were ancient men, and I poked fun at that one last last week, um, that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept and uh, with a loud voice, and many shouted for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy uh, for the noise of the weeping of the people. 
for the people were uh, uh, shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. The praise that went up to God uh, during this time <clears throat> was an exciting time for the children of Israel. But this morning, I want to talk about what preceded the praise. What, what precedes the, the, the praise? The title of my message this morning is First Things First. First Things First. And last week we talked about the praise. This morning, I want to talk about what preceded the praise. In churches today, there is a common phrase that is used to describe the music portion of their services. And that phrase is praise and worship time. Now, I, I am not criticizing other churches. That, that's not my point. But that phrase is inaccurate and misleading. Because in reality, singing of praises is actually part of worship. It's not praise and worship. It is singing praises is part of worship. So we see the children of Israel in Ezra chapter 3 in verses 10 to 13 singing praises unto God. But what precedes their praise? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. <clears throat> because praise and worship, or I should say, let me rephrase that, worship and praise is an incredibly important part of the Christian life. We need both in our lives. It, the, the Bible is full of examples. Uh, if, if, you, if you go to the book of Psalms, you will see over and over and over how David worshiped and praised God. It is, it is vital that we understand. So let's look at the scriptures and see what it says about worship and praise. <clears throat> Point number one this morning. Praise is a result of worship. Praise is a result of worship. In other words, worship comes before praise. Let's go back to Ezra chapter 3 and verse 1. And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man in Jerusalem, and stood up uh, Jeshua, the son of uh, Jezadak, <clears throat> I think that's right, uh, and his brethren, and the priest, uh, and Zerubbabel, the son of uh, Sheltiel, uh, and his brethren, and builded an altar of God, uh, of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon the base, uh, for fear was upon them because of the people uh, of, the, uh, of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon uh, upon the Lord, even 
during the uh, even burnt offerings, morning and evening. So <clears throat> let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, I, I, I do ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would use your word, not my words, but Lord, use your words to speak to our hearts. Help us, dear God, to be more like you in everything that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The word praise literally means to brag on or to extol. Think about this for a second. So the word, the word praise means to brag on. So in order to brag on God, does not God have to have done something? That, I mean, that's kind of logical. You can't brag on something God hasn't done. Now, you can thank him for what he may do in the future, but you can't brag on or praise him for something he has not done. So praise comes after worship. Now, in the passage that we just read, in verses 10 to 13, it is clear that the, that the children of Israel are singing praises to God for what he has done. But... What was the very first thing that the priests did? They got into town. They set up their tents, their houses, whatever they did. And they came together for what? Worship. They built the altar. It's, it's important that we understand that. Now, one of the things that... I have missed probably the most at Grace Baptist Church through this lockdown is the fact that on Sunday nights we have testimony time. We we have a time where we get together as a church family and we and we praise the Lord for what he's done in our lives and we share testimonies of the the goodness of God in our lives. And and I miss that because it is such an important part of our family, if you would, at Grace Baptist Church. It, it, to me, is, it is exciting to hear about the things that God is doing in the, in the lives of people. I read something recently that spoke to my heart. I wanted to share it with you. I read this story of an elderly Christian man who was a fine singer who learned that he had uh, cancer in his tongue and, the, and, and that surgery would be required. In the hospital, after everything was ready for the operation, the man said to the doctor, Are you sure I will never sing again? The surgeon found it difficult to answer his question. He simply just shook his head no. The patient then asked if he could sit up for a moment. I've had many good times singing praises to God, he said, and now you tell me I, uh, I will never sing again. I have one song that, I will be, uh, that will be my last. It will be of gratitude and praise to God. There in the doctor's presence, he sang softly 
the songs of Isaac Watts hymn, I will praise my master while I have breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my noble power. My days of praise shall ne'er be, be passed, while life and thought and, be, uh, uh, and being last, nor immortality endures. What an incredible picture of praise. Praise is something that is vital to us, that we need to embrace and, 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 and allow God to, to, to be a part of our lives. Praise is an incredible power that lifts us when we are down. One of the things that I do often, uh, and I'm getting ready to read you a couple uh, of psalms here, but often when, when I just don't feel like praising God, and we've all been there, I go to the book of Psalms and I, and I read many of the psalms which, which reminds me of my need to praise because when, when I praise, what happens? It changes my heart, does it not? In Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praises to thy name, O thou most high. Psalm chapter 21, verse 13. Be thou exalted, Lord, in mine own strength. So we will sing of thy praise and thy power. You know, and, and that's just two of many, many I could have picked. But praise is so very important. But it is the result of worship. It is the result of worship. It's, we, it is impossible to praise God without worship. Now, point number two. I want to talk about this because, again, I think in our society today, this word is mis misunderstood. Point number two, what is worship? What, what is worship? First, well, let, let's look at verse two. Verse two of our passage here, Ezra chapter three and verse two. <clears throat> then stood up uh, Jeshua, the, the son of, uh, anyway, whatever. Let, let's skip down to the, to, the, to the second half of the verse. Because all those names aren't important. Um, well, it may be important to someone, not to me right now. <clears throat> it says, um, And builded the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon. Now get this last part. As it is written in the law of Moses, the men of God. As it is written in the book of Moses, the man of God. In other words, why did they build the altar? They built the altar because they were going, they wanted to be obedient to God. So worship is twofold. The first one, it is obedience. See, they didn't. They, they didn't argue about it. 
they, they read the scriptures and the scripture said, you need to worship God. And the way you worship God is to build an altar and have a burnt offering. So what did they do? They, did, they, did, they, did they call the congregation of Israel together and sit down and talk about it and have a big discussion? And, well, I think this and I think that and blah, 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 blah. No, they just, they read it. It was in the scripture and they did it. They were obedient. But what happens in 21st century America? We want to we fight about it, do we not? We want to discuss it. We want to, well, let's take it to a vote. No, there's nothing to vote about. True worship requires obedience. There is, a, there is an important lesson in all of this. And please get this. Because this is critical to understanding biblical worship. What men say and what men think are not important. It is the word of God that gives us direction and guidance. You, you can take my opinion and $1.07 to McDonald's and get a cup of coffee with it. My, my opinion means nothing, especially when it comes to worship. James Parker wrote this, to worship God is to uh, recognize his worth or worthiness, to, to look Godward and to acknowledge in all appropriate ways the value of what we see. The Bible calls this activity glorifying God or giving glory to God and views it as the ultimate end. And from one point of view, the whole duty of man. What did what did what did um, uh, what was uh, Solomon in, in Ecclesiastes? Let, let me let me read it to you. Uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter twelve kind of summed up his life. He had he had spent his life the 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 richest man in the world at the time. He had spent his life pursuing happiness probably billions of dollars spent on pursuing happiness and what did how did he sum up his life he said in ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear god keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man he nailed it one of the things I believe that made Solomon so wise is he could take something so complex as the human life and condense it down into a single sentence. It's the whole duty of men. Fear God and keep his commandments. <clears throat> Having a biblical theology of worship is, is critical. And I'm going to say something here right now that hopefully doesn't upset anybody, but probably will. Okay? <clears throat> Not everything that we call worship is worship. Okay? Let me say that again so that there's no clouds around this one. 
not everything that we call worship is worship. Now, is good intentions worship? It can be, but it can't be. Does that make sense? Good intentions, what is it? The pathway to hell is paved with good intentions? Let me read you a a verse uh, from the book of Genesis that will explain what I'm talking about. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, And Abel, he also brought the uh, firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain uh, and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Now, let me ask you a question. Did, was, was Cain sincere in his offering? I believe he was. I, I really do. If you, if you go back and read the context, I believe Cain was sincere in his offering. But what was the problem? The problem was not his sincerity. The problem was with his with his <clears throat> his theology of worship. See, Abel had the right theology. He understood what worship was or is. Cain felt that his sincerity was more important than his theology. Not everything that we call worship is worship. Number one, it is obedience. Number two, it is all about Christ. One of the things I was so thankful for this morning is the two songs that we sang and then the special was all about Jesus Christ. And that's what worship is about, Jesus Christ. You say, but wait a minute. In the Old Testament, we just read that, that they, they built an altar and they, and they sacrificed an animal and put it on there. And, and that, what has that got to do with Jesus Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because it has everything to do with Jesus Christ. The altar here uh, is a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice of the animal, the shedding of the blood and the the burning of the animal is, is a picture of the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ and then also the suffering that would take place in the life of Jesus Christ. So, whenever you read in the Old Testament, a when they the Jews would have a sacrifice, a burnt offering, it was a picture of what was to come for the Messiah. See, they were looking forward to the cross. They were looking forward in time to what Jesus Christ would do. See, so when the, 
the children of Israel in Ezra chapter 3, they built an altar, they got together and they had corporate worship. What were they doing? They were literally gathering together around the picture of Jesus Christ. I hope you see that this morning. Because that is what worship is. Number one, it's obedience. And then number two, it's about Jesus Christ. And that's it. Why was Cain and Abel's offering so important? Because Abel's offering was a picture of Jesus Christ. Where Cain's offering was a picture of, look what I can do. That's not worship. Worship is everything that he can do. When we come together to worship, we are literally meeting around the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. You know, occasionally I, I will get asked this question, Pastor, I understand how people get saved today. We, 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 we believe in that what, what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, that Jesus died on the cross and that he shed his blood for my sin and that all I need to do is accept that. I understand it. But how did the old, peop the old people, how did the people in the Old Testament get saved? They, yeah, they're really old, the ancient men. Um, but seriously, how, how did the people in the Old Testament get saved? The answer to that is the exact same way you and I get saved. But they were looking forward to the cross where we're looking back to the cross. They had to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the work that he would do for them where we look backwards and say, thank God he's already done it. It's the exact same thing. That's why worship in the Old Testament and worship today is really the same thing. It's all about Jesus Christ. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he had a a meal with his disciples. We call it, we call it what? The, the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, Jesus institutes something that we, that we call one of two things, uh, either the Lord's Supper or we call it communion. It's the same thing. It means the same thing. But at the Last Supper, Jesus put in place, or he told his disciples, to worship him through the Lord's Supper or communion as a way for us as a church family to come together and to worship together around Jesus Christ. When this lockdown first started, I said multiple times uh, via the the internet that we would on the very first service back and we'll, we're going to do it again tonight 
um, because there are several of our people who are not here that are going to be here tonight, that we would have the Lord's Supper. Why is that so important? Because it is the very thing, it is the very center of our worship, is it not? The, 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 the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And I can think of no better way than as a family to come together and to worship around the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. The same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye drink this bread, and excuse me, eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord's unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let us examine our, uh, our but let, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat that bread and drink that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are uh, chastened of the Lord, that we may uh, that that we should not be uh, condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man be hungry, let him eat at home, that he may not come together unto condemnation, and the rest I will set in order when I come. See, Jesus, just knowing that he was going to be dying, instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. And as I, I want to close our service with us partaking together in the elements and I want to talk about it for just a moment here very quickly. Uh, the, the Bible teaches us that the communion or the, for the Lord's Supper is for believers only. This is not for just anybody who feels like taking it. This is something that is very serious. And that in the, in the, the church of Corinthian, uh, the, the, the Corinthian church, uh, it says that uh, it, those that took it unworthily uh, uh, some of them got sick and even some of them even died. This is something God takes very seriously. Worship is not to be played with. It is a time of reflection. In, 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 uh, in verse uh, 28 of uh, 1 Corinthians 12 or 11, uh, it says, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat that bread and drink that cup. Well, so what are we to, we, we are to spend time um uh, reflecting and spending time with God and letting God do a work in our hearts and our lives. This is not a time for us to judge others, but a time for God to, to speak to our hearts. 
This is, again, nothing to be done lightly, but with a sincere heart. It is a time to make things right with God and to, to make things right with others. It is about the heart of men, not the show of what everybody else will think. Here at Grace Baptist Church, we, we do not require membership in our church for you to partake of the elements, but we do ask that, number one, that you're saved, and that, to the best of your ability, you're right with God. You guys, go ahead and come. Um, we're doing it a little bit different uh, today uh, because of everything going on with the, the safe distancing and all that stuff. So what we're going to do is we have um, communion cups and uh, bread that are prepackaged. So we're not going to be passing the plates. Um, and let me grab one that I can show you. Um, they're prepackaged. The wafer is here. The juice is here. Everything's here. Um, so what we're going to do, uh, because we don't want to be passing the plates around, is we're going to, in, uh, in a moment here, uh, Bob and Rick are going to go down the aisles and we're going to dismiss by rows and allow you, if you want to partake, to come and take one and then go back to your seat. And then, because we don't want a big, congestion here uh, we're just going to do it it's going to take us a few minutes but just bear with us and whatever you do if somebody opts not to partake um, don't be judgmental it's none of your business this this is about you and God this is not about you and anybody else okay so don't worry about it if you don't feel like you you you're ready to or you want to just sit in your seat that's fine it's perfectly okay. In fact, it's it's best. But if you want to come and partake, we want you to be a part of it. So um, let's pray and ask God to bless this time. Dear Lord, we are so thankful, grateful for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. Thankful for the, the blood that you shed and the your body that was broken for me. What an incredible, incredible thought. And Lord, as we partake in, in the, this time of remembrance, communion, the Lord's Supper, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, but primarily my heart, and that you would help me, dear God, to be more like you in everything that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as, as Bob and Rick um, uh, dismiss you to... Uh, to to come, um, let, let's just use this time a, a time of reflection. You can just sit in your seats and pray. Uh, those of you that are parents of little people, uh, we're going to leave that to your discretion whether you want your children to partake or not. Just and, and hold on to it. Just take it and go back to your seat, and we'll just hold on to it till we're all ready.